Welcome to the Focus on Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Preston. And I'm Jason. Jason, we're back here today with part two of our two-part short corn podcast series. Yeah, today we talked to Bernardo de la Vega, who is a Mexican farmer, about his experiences with short corn, which is grown under the name Vitala in Mexico. Yeah, so for our listeners out there, if you haven't listened to part one, I encourage you to, first of all, hit the subscribe button. Second of all, go back two weeks on our podcast feed and listen to the Kelly Gillespie episode first. Then come back and listen to this conversation we have with Bernardo, because I think we had a very, it's very interesting to hear how this technology is used on his farm. Yeah, and it's really cool to hear, you know, if you listen to the previous episode about how the technology was developed, and then come back and listen to the real world experience of a farmer. Absolutely. So without further ado, let's get right into our conversation with Bernardo. Bernardo, welcome to the podcast. It's good to have you here today. To kick things off, would you mind telling our audience a little bit about your background? Thank you very much. My name is Bernardo de la Vega Valladolid. I am a grower in Mexico, north part of Mexico, the state of Sinaloa. I am a third generation. My grandpa started from the 30s my dad on the 50s, and I got into the business on the 80s. Right now, we're growing in two different parts of Mexico. We mainly grow sorghum, wheat, corn, and potatoes. Bernardo, it sounds like you've been involved in farming for quite a while. Can you give the listeners a little bit of an idea about your operation? Is it all in one area, or is it kind of spread out? No, uh, we have to travel about 800 miles, uh, 800 kilometers, sorry, uh, from the uh, north part of Sinaloa to the north part of Sonora. The main reason why to be there is because uh, we produce over there uh, our seed for potatoes and also we grow some wheat to rotation. It's a place uh, right in the middle of the desert, so we have good conditions for that. And the rest is in the north part of Sinaloa, which is a big valley. And uh, this valley is, uh, is very... Very nice. To, you can grow so many different crops. We have lots of water. So, and also we grow in the winter time, which is very good for us. So this is a, a good place to be. And my dad uh, decided to come here in the 19, uh, 1962. So we're we're uh, growing here since uh, that year. You're very well established in that area. Can you give us an idea of the size of your operation? Our size of preparation is uh, about 2,500 altogether. And uh, we grow, in, the, in our area, we can do two crops. And uh, in, in Caborca, the place North Sonora, we can only do one crop a year. Okay, and, and so that, that's 2,500 hectares, is that correct? 2,500 hectares. Okay, yeah. so that's maybe 6,000 acres, roughly, something along those lines? Yeah, more or less. You have a pretty diverse operation, it sounds like, more diverse than a lot of the, you know, we're, we're sitting here in, in Illinois today, and a lot of the growers grow corn and soybeans. Some have a few other crops thrown in there, but the majority of what's grown in this area are those two crops. And it sounds like you said you have one region where you grow seed for your potatoes. Is that correct? So you produce your own seed for the potatoes? Yes, we produce our own seed. We're uh, a, a part of the, of the chain with uh, an industry that uh, makes chips. So we get the minute tubers from them and then how we start. We go uh, two generations and then we go commercial. 
Wow, Bernardo, that's really interesting. A lot of our research is done in the Midwest. I'm curious, farming in Mexico, specifically your corn production, what are some of the main challenges you face with corn production in your area? Well, uh, we, we have to say it's a, a challenge in the whole world, less land, less water. So we need to find out how to be more productive. Of course, uh, we want to make money from our crops. And right now in Mexico, we have international prices under, under national conditions. We don't have any support in Mexico like you guys have or Europe have. Mm. So we have to be very productive. We are with the normal hybrids, we're on the even break-even point. So we are looking for new new options to be more productive in corn so we can continue making business on it. That's uh, pretty tough. If you're just breaking even every year, it's pretty tough to make it be sustainable. People talk about sustainability a lot, but if you can't pay the bills, obviously that's not very sustainable at all. Bernardo, how would you compare production of corn besides the, you know, the obvious challenges of the difference in the government, but how does production of corn in, the, in Mexico compare to corn in the U.S. as far as production practices? Well, I, I would say, uh, well, in our area, we produce in the wintertime and uh, you guys produce in the summertime, so you have longer days. So our challenge is, uh, is uh, bigger than you guys over there. But uh, with the good hybrids we're using here, I think uh, we could be much the same, uh, except that uh, in Mexico, we cannot use uh, GMOs uh, seed. So that's a big uh, disadvantage, but uh, we learn how to manage the hybrids, normal hybrids that the, that the, that the companies have. And uh, our production, uh, we can tell it's, uh, it's good. We can be an average about 13, 14, 15 tons per hectare. Right now, uh, we have a, a new option. We found that uh, right now it's uh, an hybrid called uh, uh, Delphine in Spanish. And uh, that, uh, that program, they call it Vitala. Vitala for us has been a, a, a big surprise. An option to be productive enough to, to keep making money and continue with that crowd. Vitala for us is a, is a concept. Uh, it's a mix between the hybrid that you have and technology. The, that hybrid, the good reason to plant it is because it's a short plant. It's a, it's a lodging resistance, which uh, that means to us a lot. When we grow on the winter time, so normally we have uh, strong winds coming from the north. And if you're irrigating by that time, then you have a problem. So we found on that program, by using that type of, of, of seed, uh, lodging resistance and the use of technology, that is giving us an option to be more productive. And also by having that uh, kind of support, we learn as a grower, we should have a tech department. So we hired those young people, you know, they, they are, they match very easily with the computers. So we decided to form that uh, department and right now we have those young kids that they catch very easily the technology available in the world. So we're very excited about it. We know we can learn 
things much faster. So we're pushing all our effort in that technology to be productive and continue in that craft, which is very good for us to have it in our menu because uh, that means rotation, that means another option to continue on the business. That's interesting. So the, the Vitala corn that you're referencing is the short corn, correct? That we are starting to produce here in the United States has not been commercialized yet. We're still a couple of years out. So we'd love to talk just a little bit more about that. And you mentioned that it performs better when it comes to lodging. It stands better under conditions where the taller hybrids will lodge. How about production practices? Are you producing that corn with the same equipment, with the same production practices as taller hybrids? Or have you changed the way you plant and harvest and manage that crop? It's the same thing, except that you can put more plants per hectare. And also, uh, because it's a short corn, you can use the sprayers, which are there tall enough, and you can spray with them all the time. So we think we can go from 20, 30, maybe 35% more plants per hectare. That on the normal hybrid, I cannot do that. If I put more plants per hectare, they will fail down very easily on a strong wing. So by putting more plants, the results for sure is gonna be a big success on the production. Yeah, that's very interesting, especially the, the standability aspect of short corn or Vitala corn that you mentioned. Uh, are there any other benefits? I know when you mentioned the challenges at the beginning of this podcast, you know, are there any other of those challenges that are met with a short corn product? Well, and another benefit is, is the program, the Vitala program. Buyer has very good technique guys, and they're showing us how to use the technology the farm. So we ask them to help us to learn fast and to train our people to use those kind of technology, which is very good. I recommend seriously all the growers in the world to make big effort on technology in their farms. I know sometimes it's hard to do it because uh, farming in the world is, is becoming older, older people all the time. So we need young people, we need to hire people from the universities to help us to how to use the technology. And uh, I'm sure those young people, by using the technology, they will learn so fast to do farming. So let's try, let's try. I'm very excited about it. We have seen the results already. And by using the concept of Vitala, I'm using that concept on my other crops and the results they're changing for better very fast. So Bernardo, I'm just kind of curious. You mentioned that you can raise the population a little bit with these shorter hybrids and still have them stand well. Are you seeing any differences then? Are you applying additional nutrition or are you applying the same nutrition you were at the former populations or are you seeing differences in nutrient use that you've identified? So, so far, we're doing the same, just to compare but uh, we're uh, trying to, to be uh, prepared to, to work on a, on a nutrition facts, what we can do better. So that's uh, what the technology is going to do. 
So I think uh, we, we maybe we can put uh, more fertilizer and we'll pay. There's a lot of potential there, Bernardo. Uh, you mentioned earlier, I guess I didn't realize that GM crops were banned in Mexico. Here in America, obviously a lot of farmers use this technology. Maybe can you describe how that has impacted your operation? What are you lacking on your farm without the use of GM crop technology? Yeah, we're, we're missing GMOs, of course. We have seen those uh, in different countries. And uh, you can tell the potential by just uh, getting away from the insects or getting away from uh, the plants that you don't want on your crop by using the, those chemicals that helps to kill them. So we wish we can uh, use those kind of technologies, but we're not able. So by not having that, we believe that uh, Vitala for us is an option and we put uh, our, our, our effort in that. So are you applying then a lot of additional chemical to the crop compared to say in the U.S. we grow smart stacks corn, for instance, that has protection against rootworms and, and other pests. Are you applying a lot of insecticide then over the top of the crop or, or in the soil? Yes, uh, we need to apply more for insecticides. We have the information from the United States or other countries that use GMOs. And uh, in Mexico, we put uh, maybe twice as much uh, insecticides in our plants that you guys do in other countries, other growers in other countries. Is there any hope among farmers in Mexico that the government will change their stance and allow the growing of GM crops? Or do you think things aren't going to change? Well, uh, this government says uh, no to GMOs. And also they push hard, but didn't go through. They worked so hard to get uh, the old seed in Mexico for corn to be established as a seed for the, the rest of the country, which uh, that means that if they accept that, we will go for uh, maybe six tons per hectare, something like that. So we think uh, GMOs for Mexico is far, far away. Wow. It sounds like your government would really be tying farmers' hands, not only not allowing them to grow GMOs, but if they would even set them back farther and force them to grow old hybrids or even old varieties. Sometimes in the U.S. we refer to heirloom varieties, which they often have some characteristics that people like about them, but they're definitely not known for their yield. You mentioned around six tons per hectare. We're talking somewhere around 100 bushels per acre, correct? Yes, it's much less. It's uh, about 120 bushels, and uh, we're having big trouble as farmers right now with our government. Uh, they want us to bring, to come back to the small pieces of land, like on the past. The industrial farmers, we're, we, we, won't, we don't fit with this government, so we're in trouble. We need to, to keep looking what's going to happen, but uh, that's uh, Mexicans. Mexico's uh, problem. So I think uh, we'll have to work hard for those things not to happen. We need uh, to be much bigger all the time because farmers in every place in the world, they are big, big enough to, to make money, not to keep the business going. So that's a big disadvantage for us right now in this time of years. It seems kind of ironic that the government is trying to encourage encourage small farmers, but by doing so, they make it tougher for bigger farmers 
who then have to grow their operations and get even bigger in order to stay viable. So it's, it's kind of an interesting dilemma, it sounds like, that they have on their hands. Yeah, believe it or not, but it's, uh, it's something that is happening in this country. But uh, we need to work hard as Mexicans for that. We have a big country, we have a rich country, we have a lots of water, we have a lots of land, we have big opportunities. Uh, we have uh, the, the opportunity to grow so many crops here. We have the hand labor. Uh, we have the short distance to the United States, which is uh, our biggest market. So we need to keep going and work hard for that. And we, with the government, try to make new ideas and, uh, and keep going in our, in our business and our farms. So you mentioned the U.S. being a trade partner, and I'm just kind of curious, actually, for farm products and agricultural products, is is Mexico a net importer or is uh, the U.S. a net importer for farm products between the two countries? Well, we, we sent salads to the United States and the United States sent to Mexico grain. And that's okay. an interesting thing. It's funny. All GMOs, from all, all, all the corn from the United States is GMO. So our cow eats GMOs. And sometimes we make tortillas from that. So we can eat it from the United States, but we cannot produce it. So that's, that's funny. Something that uh, we don't understand. And uh, we are a big, big importer of corn this time of years. That's very frustrating, it sounds like. Bernardo, I guess to kind of wrap things up, you stated at the beginning that your family's been on the farm for a long time, for, for a lot of years. When you look to the future, are you excited about the future of agriculture? And if so, what are some of the things that excites you about the future of ag? What is very exciting for me on, on farming, it's that something that has to be with your blood. It's something that you can, of course, you need the money. But it's something that you, can, uh, you cannot, uh, you need to have it. But it's something that is from blood. So uh, it's uh, the competition is not easy. Uh, someone with a lot of money can come into the business and, and he will make it. So you need to, to be very close to the land. You need to love the land. You need to work hard with your family to do the things right, to make the decisions and the, on the conditions of, of the, how the family is going to get involved into the business. So you can continue with your family on the business. Right now, I have partners, family partners, and uh, we're working hard on our situation. And also, I'm looking for my kids uh, so they can keep learning on the business and get involved uh, as soon they finish their career. And also, uh, we see that uh, every time uh, there's more, there is new crops in this country because of weather because the short distance to the biggest market that we have. Some uh, growers from uh, South America, they're right now coming to this side of the, of the country. People from Chile, people from Peru, they're here because we have the land, we have the weather, we have uh, water. So I'm very excited about that. And uh, I'm trying and I'm thinking to continue this business for, for whatever God gives me on the years I can uh, still in this in this world 
Sounds like you have the same hopes and dreams of almost every farmer I've ever talked to, and that's to maintain their operation and be able to pass it on to their family so that they can enjoy the same lifestyle that you've been able to have. Thanks a lot for your time here today, Bernardo. It's really been interesting to me. I always appreciate having the opportunity to learn about how farmers in other parts of the world operate. Often we can get kind of centered in on our own area and kind of get in the mindset that the way things are around us is the way things are all across the world. And that's obviously not true. And this has been a really interesting conversation. We appreciate your time. Thank, thank you very much, you guys, uh, to get interested in our country. And uh, I'll be here in case uh, you need anything. And I hope that you guys are able to visit us someday. We would love that. And vice versa, if you're ever in Illinois, come look us up. Thank you. Thank you very much. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the program hosts or their employer.